Good morning. I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right. Good morning. Who thinks the Packers are going to win today? Where's all my Vikings fans? Who thinks the Vikings are going to win today? There we go. Nice. That's all right. You're welcome even if you're a Packers fan or even a Bears fan. We're glad that you're here today. Um, so I've got four kids, and we're in this Family Values series, and it's so good whether you have kids or you even don't have kids because we're talking about, man, these are the things that are going to shape our lives, shape our families. And I've got four kids, nine, six, four, and one. And for a couple of years now, they have been begging me for a pet. And so I have resisted giving in. And so Kristen and I have said for years now, we have to stay strong, be a united front, right? You know how that goes when they're begging for an animal, begging for an animal. And then my sister gets a dog and my other sister gets two cats. And it's like, they want a pet, they want a pet. And so finally we gave in and said, all right, you can get a fish. I figure no litter box, no cleaning up outside mess, you know, fish is pretty simple. Well, a few weeks ago, I was working, uh, I work out of Starbucks, and Kristen had the kids at Petco, and she's like, all right, I'm getting ready to get the kids fish, but we're going to get three tanks tanks because they all want their own beta. And I was like, oh my word, what? I don't want to get three tanks of fish. This is going to be crazy. So I come over there, and we're talking, and she's like, remember, we got to stay strong, stay strong. So we're looking at hamsters. Because, okay, maybe a hamster is better than fish, three fish. And so finally, I just kind of blurt out, well, how about instead of getting three fish, uh, we get a cat instead. And she's like, what are you doing? And so uh, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, what I'm thinking. And so this was like on a Saturday. And, and so we said, okay, well, let's think and let's wait. Let's pray on it overnight. Well, Sunday morning, we, we were here and I'm here at church and she's with the kids. She gets the four kids up and out the door into church. And I'm preaching, and after church, she says, by the way, um, I uh, emailed the lady, and we own a cat now. <laughs> so we are proud owners of a cat. It was my idea. Uh, I have to own that. Uh, but we, we have a, a pet now. But it's so important to be unified in marriage, in life, otherwise you end up with a cat. Amen? <laughs> so last week, we, we talked about how if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every single time. That if you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it every single time. That we need to have a vision for our lives, a vision for our careers, for our businesses, a vision for our families. And we said that that vision is that picture of our preferred future. And, and what helps us keep on track towards that vision are these things called values. Values answer the question, how do we act? And you see a lot of times people have, you know, those pictures, maybe they're on, on, on reclaimed barn wood or into a big piece of metal. And it's like, in our family, we give forgiveness, we do this, 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 you know, or I've seen the Disney ones, you know, we, we're brave, we're blah, 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 we find Nemo, I don't know what it is, you know, and we all have our family values, but it answers the question, how do we act? I like the definition, too, that values are like the banks of a river, keeps you going straight and, t- and pointed to where you want to go. So that's what this series is about, is we want to give our lives, our families, and also our church some values to keep us on track of where we're going. So last week, we looked at the parable that Jesus tells at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5 through 7, it's his most well-known sermon. Right at the very end, right when the keyboard player is getting ready to come out and, and Jesus is wrapping up his conclusion, he tells this story about a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And when the winds came and, and the storms of life came up against it, it stood firm because there was a firm foundation. And the foolish man built his house on the sand. And when the winds came and the waves beat against it, it crumbled. And we said that if we build our lives in the shifting sand of culture, 
what is popular. We talk about how sand is popular, pop, that sand forms around us, that, that, uh, that, that sand is not good to build a foundation on. It's fun to go visit, but it's not good to build your foundation on. That when, not if, that when storms of life come, when you struggle with infertility, when your oldest goes off to college and, and you're mourning that, or, or when your kids are struggling, whatever that might be, you don't have that firm foundation. Instead, we said, hey, we want to build our lives, our families, our businesses, our, our everything on the rock of Jesus, on his word. We talk about that our, our value is trusting in God's promises. We, we talk about how all of these values are present progressive for the grammar nerds. That it's not just a decision we make once and check it off, but instead it's a decision we have to make daily. We're trusting in the promises of God every day. We're teaching our kids, we're teaching our families to trust in the promises of God every single day. We're trusting in the promises of God. That's, that's a firm foundation that we can build our life on. Well, today, our, our value account is we're pursuing uncommon unity. Pursuing uncommon unity. Well, in today's political climate, the moment you say that word unity, I think some people's guards go up and people get a little defensive, like, whoa, what are you talking about, like, unity? And what, what do you mean? Like, because there's so much division in the world, Amen. My word, like, I think division has intensified. I think the separation is so much more stark. There's racial division, socioeconomic division, generational division. You see all these articles about, you know, there's the, the baby boomers, you know, against the millennials, and then they're kind of generational, generational divisions. And somehow us Gen Xers, like, get left out. It's like, if only there was a bridge between the millennials and the, and the boomers. Yeah, the Xers, that's us. Uh, but, you know, there's this division in, in generations. And somehow, uh, you know, the divisions between men and women, gender, you know, Vikings and, and Packers fans, there's division there. And I think there's a reason it's intensified. You go back in human history, I think we've always had divisions among us. But now, see, with social media, everyone has a megaphone. Everyone is able to broadcast their opinions. And I think what has happened is that now we're just shouting all our, our feelings and sharing things. And the reality is we're listening less and less than ever before. Everyone's just shouting their own thing. And we're actually living in a world of echo chambers because of targeted advertising and the logarithms on your smartphones and, and Facebook and, and Instagram and all these things that these apps want to show you more of what you already believe. And so they push content that you already agree with. And so you just get riled up. Because we're just hearing the same thing. We're living in this, in this world where the division is getting worse and worse. So you might say, Eric, why are we going to kind of kick that cultural hornet's nest of, of, of unity and, and getting it all political? Well, I just want you to know, if you, if you get upset by something I say this morning and you need to email me, that's totally fine. Uh, my email is josholson at mymosaicchurch.com. Send me all your complaints and um, yes. But we actually aren't getting political here. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, that political correctness, which is so much of culture, is all about, hey, we got to be PC. That's about appeasing the crowds. That's about appeasing the crowds. But pursuing uncommon unity is about pleasing Christ. It's not about appeasing the crowds. It's about pleasing Christ. It's too often in our culture we talk about tolerance as a value. Now, let's be real. Who wants to be tolerated? No, we want to be loved, right? That's the biblical value. It's not just tolerance, it's love. It's pursuing uncommon unity because we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, amen? Here's what, this is the heart of Jesus. 
It's the gospel of reconciliation that Jesus says it doesn't matter what you've done or what's been done to you. And newsflash, Jesus wasn't a Republican or a Democrat. And even, I might blow your mind, Jesus wasn't even an American. Is that hard to believe? He wasn't. Jesus didn't speak English? What? No, it's true. But Jesus came to invite everyone. No matter your skin color, no matter if you grew up in Iowa or Minnesota or a Packers fan or a Vikings fan, or if you think Star Trek is better than Star Wars or somehow you like DC movies better than Marvel, I don't understand. But all are invited in. And pursuing uncommon unity is close to the heart of God. Here's what Psalm 133.1 says. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. When God's people live together in unity. If you want to see God with a massive smile on his face, it says, live together in unity. And here's an important distinction. You can write this down. That unity isn't the same thing. It's not about uniformity. That doesn't mean we all have to look the same or dress the same, amen? We don't all have to be the same to have unity. But instead, it's coming together in unity and bowing down before King Jesus. And saying, man, we are all imperfect. We are all broken and in need of a savior. And we're gonna bow the knee before our King Jesus. Well, Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, he went to the cross. And before he went to the cross, he spent time having dinner with his closest friends. One of the things I love is that Jesus has dinner with his closest friends, and who else is there? Judas, the one who's going to betray Jesus. Even that person, Jesus invites to come. Man, what, what an amazing picture. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. Jesus says, come. Even the Judases get to come and sit down and have a meal with Jesus. Well, he's going to pray for his closest friends his disciples. And he's not just going to pray anything. He's going to pray some very specific things, and that's what I want to look at today. Would you join me in prayer as we, as we dive into today's God's word? God, I thank you that you are here. And at the name of Jesus, darkness flees. That there's power in the name of Jesus, that healing happens. That chains are broken. God, I pray that you would be in and around and work through my words that every person here would re receive from you what they need to hear. God, that you would meet with each and every one of us, that we would leave filled up, that we would leave here not carrying the same burdens that we walked in with, that our hearts would be lifted. Thank you, God, that you are here. In your name we pray, amen. What always blows my mind when I think about God the Father coming to his son, and saying, here's my plan on how to redeem and save the world. Son, you're going to leave heaven. You're going to go to earth. You're going to give up all your rights. You're going to be born as a baby in a manger, and you're going to grow up. And you're going to go to the cross. And even in that moment, Jesus knew that his father's face would be turned away from him. He would die excruciating pain carrying the weight of the world, the filth, the, the dirt of the world. But Hebrews 12, 2 tells us why Jesus did it. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him. See, Jesus knew his mission. 
He knew he came to seek and save the lost. He knew that we were broken and lost in our own sin. There's nothing we could do to earn our way to God. And so for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and all that came with it. See, the result of mission is always joy. The result of mission is always joy. There's a link between joy and sentness. Some of you might be wondering why your life lacks joy, why it seems a little tasteless. May I submit for your consideration that perhaps you've lost sight of your mission in life. You aren't living on mission. You were made for greater things. You weren't made to be content with just momentary and fleeting pleasures. If you're trying to be just happy in life with a, a better job, a bigger house, a cabin up north, well-behaved children, a house that's decorated like it was decorated personally by Joanna Gaines. Like, that is not going to be enough. It's not working. Because you and I were made for something greater. You and I were made to live on mission. If you're sensing there must be more, that your life lacks joy, I'm, I'm here to tell you that there is more. You can experience passion and joy and purpose. How many of you remember the old TV show, um, the, the Love Boat, A Sweet Life with Zach and Cody? Anyone? Yeah? I think some people think the church is like a big cruise ship. God has saved us from this evil world, and, and now we're all together, and, and the staff is doing some activities, and, and we're heading out, and we're safe from everybody else. Or how many, you remember that movie, Wally? No one? Okay, a few. Yeah, okay, well, yeah. Remember when Wally gets to space and he finds the humans and, and they're drinking their big gulps and they're just like in a cocoon and how prophetic is that movie? And people are just chilling and they're just kind of absorbed in their own thing. Man, I'm worried that's where maybe the church, our culture is headed. I got, I got church on my phone. I'm good. I don't need anything else. I'm just I'm zoned in. I got my, my shake. I'm just, I'm just kind of living for myself. And then all of a sudden, you know, Wally comes and he disrupts everything and they realize they have a mission. They're going back to earth, and they're going to repopulate it and, and figure it out because they can grow things now. And see, that's what I believe God intends for the church. It's not just a cruise ship. It's not just, you know, the, the spaceship in outer space carrying humanity so they're just safe and we're, we're coddled. The church is a battleship. See, in a battleship, everyone knows why they're there. They're, they're there. They have a role to play. They have a mission. Jesus gave the church a mission to go into hostile territories, to release captives, to proclaim the good news that you can have hope and freedom through Jesus Christ, amen? You can experience purpose. Everyone on a battleship has a responsibility and a role to serve. The same with Jesus' church. If Jesus is your admiral, your leader, then you've been enlisted to serve in his navy. You have a role to play. Maybe it's as a gunner. Maybe you're shooting prayer supports. Maybe it's to help steer the ship. Maybe you're a pilot and you're flying helicopters and leading ministry teams as they're sent out in small mission squads. The point is that Jesus had a mission here on earth and he's given us a mission too. And John 17 gives us some insight into that mission. It gives us a glimpse into the heart of Jesus, unlike almost any other chapter in the Gospels. So we get to listen in as Jesus prays to his father and actually prays for you and me. Do you know that Jesus actually prayed for you and me? Here today in this moment, we're gonna see that. If you're taking notes, three things that Jesus prayed for us. Number one, he prayed that we'd be sanctified. In John 17, 17, this week, maybe you wanna read that whole chapter. Man, start in chapter 15, one of my favorite chapters, I'm the vine. Go through that, these final words that Jesus tells the disciples. And he gives this long prayer 
the disciples are listening in, and, and, and John wrote it down. But in this prayer, he prays. So Heavenly Father, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The first thing we see, Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified. Now, what does that word sanctify mean? That, it's kind of a, a churchy word, but it means to be set apart, to be made holy. I, I think too often when we use that word holy, we simply think that means perfect. And there's an element to that, but there, it's more that holy is it's a life that is so aligned with God that it reflects God's passions completely. It means to be set apart. See, Jesus was separated, made holy for a divine mission. Sanctification is always for mission, since it's God's activity in the world, bringing truth and light and salvation. And through Jesus' death on the cross, the disciples are going to experience something that no one had experienced before. They're going to be a new holiness, a new identification, a deep attachment to God. My favorite athlete, many of you know, is Russell Wilson. And he likes to say, the separation is in the preparation. The separation is in the preparation. He has some amazing cliches that I just love. But it's true that if we want to be prepared for what God has for us, we need to be separated. When, you, when you, you enlist in the military, you get separated out of the rest of culture and get sent into a boot camp. And you get prepared, but you don't stay in boot camp. In college, some of you guys are college students. That's an amazing time where God is setting you apart and you're getting this training, but you can't stay in college forever, as fun as it is. Eventually, you have to be sent out. We're going to talk about that next, but the number one factor that we see, how do we get sanctified? Jesus tells us that God's word is truth. By trusting in the promises of God, by building our lives on the rock of God's word, we'll be sanctified. Lifeway is an organization, they have bookstores, and they, they publish books, and they put up podcasts and lots of content. And they're able to do this, this massive study of hundreds of Christians from all different denominations across the country, this really big study. And they figured out what are the key markers of a growing relationship with Jesus, and they came up with actually eight things. That's a long list, and the first time I saw that list, I was like, whoa, that's a lot of things to remember. That's a lot of things as a pastor to tell your church to do, that you do these eight things and you will have a growing relationship with Jesus, that you will be sanctified in God's truth. But they said, actually, there's one of the eight that really leaps out above all the other ones. This one thing, it was the common denominator in every person they surveyed who had a growing relationship with Jesus. And that was spending regular time in God's word. Now, it's not fun, it's not sexy sounding, it's not, you know, whatever, but it's true that God gave us his word. God's word is truth. And the number one marker of a growing relationship with Jesus, of being sanctified in his truth, is by spending time in God's word. I gotta be honest, this isn't always easy for me even as a pastor. There are weeks where, man, my time in God's word is spent in just sermon preparation. And really, it's got to be different for me because that's work. And, and there are weeks I'm like, man, I have not been great. I've been reading the verse of the day, or maybe I got a chapter on Tuesday, and then Wednesday, Thursday went by, and all I did was sermon prep. But together, we're in this together and saying, man, if we want to be sanctified, if we want to be set apart, if we want to have the values that God gives us, we got, we got to get into God's word together. And so as we launch small groups, my hope and my prayer is that 
whatever you discuss in your small group, and whether you're a sermon-based small group or you use another content, I want our small groups to be opening God's word, to be discussing it, to be growing in it. We're encouraging each other. If you're married, how can we start? Maybe, maybe it's one day a week. Chris and I were just talking about this on Friday night. We got to have a date night. My parents were watching the kids, and we said, man, how are we going to help our kids get into God's word and, and do better by that? All right, let's just start one day a week. Sunday nights, all right, tonight, we're going to get our family together. We're going to open God's word, and, and, and we've got some journals for the kids, different things to help them engage with God's word. And we're like, okay, you know, we've, we've got, you know, Monday nights, I work late evenings, Tuesday nights, we've got theater, Wednesday nights, we've got dance and piano, Thursday nights, we've got our small group. So it's so easy for us to go through a week. It's okay, we're going to start with just Sunday nights. Maybe as a couple, maybe as a family, this isn't something that you've been great at. And if you're a morning person, it works for work, do that. If it's in the evening, like, don't stress about it. it doesn't, you don't have to start your day reading God's word. That's a great way to start your day. But if that's just not working with your family schedule or your class schedule, whatever it might be, then find a time that does work. The number one marker of people who are, have a growing relationship with Jesus is getting into God's word. I can tell you that's personally for me too. When I've been great about reading and journaling, and there was a season, where I, I, it was a couple years ago, and one time, one time only, I, I, 365 days in a row, I did it. I was so like, yeah, and then the next year it was not so great. But in my life, I've seen this so much. That when I spend regular, consistent time getting in God's word, engaging it, reading it, meditating on it, man, that changes my heart. It, it, it helps me know that I'm set apart for a reason. If you don't know where to start in Bible reading, man, I'd love to talk with you. Any of our leaders would love to just sit down with you, a cup of coffee, help you get into God's word. Start with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just start there. Proverbs, it's a great one. You can read one proverb a day. There's 31, so you can get them done in one month. But get into God's word. Number two, we see that as we're set apart and, and when we're in this season of, of, of being sanctified, that we're, we're, then we're going to be sent out. In the next verse, Jesus prays, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus is saying, you're going to set them apart. They're going to be sanctified so that they can be sent out. We always get filled up for a purpose and a reason to then be sent out. Man, in my own life, I grew up in Maple Grove. I remember coming to the Lions Day Parade as a kid. That My first brought ever was at the Lions Day Parade with my mom. Grew up in Maple Grove. And then as a college student, I was sent out to Rogers to help plant a church. And then from Rogers to White Bear Lake, and then from White Bear Lake all the way to Denver, Colorado, and then from Denver, Colorado to Madison, Wisconsin, to back to Maple Grove. And I'm so glad that God has brought us back here. But in the same way, maybe you're on a journey. Maybe God is going to send you somewhere specific, but maybe you're in a season of, of waiting and, and getting poured into. But no matter what, God is going to send you out, whether that's your neighborhood or your work or somewhere else. And my prayer as your pastor for as long as you're here is that as long as you are here, we want to treat it as a gift. That as long as you're here in Mosaic, we just want to help you grow and take your next step. Because we know that you're not going to be here forever. As long as you're here, man, how can we help you grow spiritually so that when God sends you out, because we know job transfers, we know life happens, all these things. And that's so hard for me as a pastor to let go of that, but to say, man, how can we help you take your next step for whatever season that is? Because you're going to be sent out and that's going to be stretching. We talk a lot about this, how the strength is in the stretch. Whether you're lifting weights or working out, whether you're a musician, 
whether you're in school, the way to go stronger, to go further, is to be stretched. So right now, if, if you're in a season where it just feels like, man, I, I can't handle this, this is more than I can bear, you should be honored because God thinks you can handle more. <laughs> he's stretching you. He's getting you ready for what's next. And Jesus prayed that, that his disciples would be sent out. And the last thing he prays is that his disciples would be unified. And this goes with our, our family value of pursuing uncommon unity. Here's what he prays. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. He's saying, God, I'm not just praying for the disciples in the room right now at the Last Supper. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Jesus is actually praying for us today that those who follow Jesus because of the message of the disciples and then, and then they follow and they follow and down through the ages, now Jesus is praying for us, which I think is this amazing. He says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What's this reason for pursuing uncommon unity? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. As believers, we need to be unified in Christ. We come together and bow the knee to Jesus and for Christ. We come together in uncommon unity to say, wow, that the world may know. When people say, how, how can, as a church, they come together with, with different skin colors and different backgrounds and different political persuasions? And we say, there's only one thing that unifies us completely, and that is Jesus' message of reconciliation. That we are all welcome, that we are all children of God. Why is it so important? to be pursuing uncommon unity. The stakes are too high. The world will never know that God sent his only son, that he so loved the world, unless we are pursuing uncommon unity. We need to be unified. We need to be unified like the Avengers. Go ahead and check out this clip. Come on, yeah, Avengers, assemble. But seriously, you guys are like, what in the world, Eric, you're so weird. That's all right. But when I was thinking about, man, what, what, what is a picture of the unity that God once for us as a church, I thought of the Avengers. And, and, and it's true. Like how different is Cap and, and Iron Man and Hulk and everyone in the same way we have an enemy that is more evil and diabolical than Thanos. We have a mission more important than the end game. And it's coming together in unity to liberate the captives, to push back the darkness to, to push back racism and all the other isms and, and greed and all these things. Say, man, we have a purpose. We come together, united under Christ, church, assemble. Amen? That's why we are here. Hopefully you're awake now. Here, real quick, as, as I wrap up, I want to give you a few things. How do we do this? How do we pursue uncommon unity? Personally, find some people who are different than you. Maybe that's in the grocery store. Maybe it's at work, in your neighborhood. And just start with fist bumps. Just give them a fist bump. Hey, man, good morning. Glad to see you. But just start by reaching out to people who look different than you. The more different, the better. We need to have relationships and friendships with people that are different than us. Then move from fist bumps to friendships. Just to befriend people. We all need to stretch ourselves. If you're married, you need to be unified with your spouse. Daily pursuing uncommon unity. 
praying out loud on a regular basis, I gotta get better at this. We've tackled this for a couple years now. Reading God's word together as a, as a married couple. If you're single, be thinking who, look for someone that you can be unified to, that you can be united in Christ together. As a part of the global church, that means that other churches are not the enemy, amen? We are all part of God's kingdom, whether it's Lutherans or Baptists or non-denominationals or Methodists, whatever that might be. We are united in Jesus in Christ. We need to be pursuing uncommon unity because we have way more things in common than things that separate us, amen? As a church, we need to be pursuing uncommon unity. How is unity established? Well, Acts 1 tells us that praying plus gathering equals unifying. The praying plus gathering equals unifying. I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. In Acts 1, verse 12 through 14, it says this. Then the apostles, after Jesus went back into heaven, Jesus died on the cross, he rose again. He gave his last final commissions, his weight, you will receive power. Then the disciples saw him shoot up into heaven. It says, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. I mean, how bummer to be the other disciple named Judas. I just think every time I read that, I'm like, dude, I wasn't that Judas. I'm the different Judas. Anyways, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. They were united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Praying plus gathering equals unifying. Let us not give up meeting together. Let us not give up gathering. Let us not give up praying. That is how we be unified. Praying plus gathering equals unifying. The stakes are too high. We need to come together, church assemble, so that we can push back the works of darkness. We all have a mission to play. We're not on a cruise ship. We're not in Wally up in a spaceship just, just sailing off into heaven. Instead, no, we have a mission. Get involved. Get in the game. What is that that God is inviting you to do? If your life feels a little tasteless, a little joyless, maybe you need a fresh taste of mission. Maybe your family needs a better story. I want to encourage you, though, that our value that we're pursuing uncommon unity as a church, that what we have in common is way more than what separates us. As families, we want to pursue uncommon unity in our marriages with our kids. Would you stand with me? We're going to go out for singing. And then something new we've been trying, uh, inviting you to stick around for the after party. Uh, We say for 10 minutes, go ahead and hang out in the lobby. We'll have hot coffee, uh, some cold cans of double shot, some cookies. And kids ministry is not expecting you to pick up your kids for another 10 minutes. So this is intentional time for you to connect with others. We said last week that if you're a little introverted and shy, we have some tables out there you can stand behind the table. So you have a barrier as something, you know, keep you safe. But make a new friend. Find someone, you know, how, how do you make friends? You be a friend. Start with fist bumps. Move from fist bump to friendship. As a church, we're going to be pursuing uncommon unity. It's not something that happens once. It's an ongoing thing. And we say, hey, man, we are for each other. Find someone new. Just get to know their story. You know, enjoy a cup of coffee. And if you're super wigged out, like, just go spend 10 minutes in the bathroom. That's all good. <laughs> I'm going to pray. I'm going to receive our offering. And thank you so much. Uh, you can give in the offering basket. You can give online anytime. You can give through our app now, which we're super psyched about. You can check out our list of small groups. And then Josh did say the starting point starts at 1.30. It starts at 
So in 15 minutes, not two hours. Uh, so if you signed up for starting points, um, uh, we're going to be just over there after the 10-minute party, the after party, and uh, just hear a little more about the church, get to know some of the staff and governing team. Let's pray. Oh, God, if you're singing and receiving our offering. God, thank you that you are here in this place. God, thank you that uh, you alone have the power to break chains, to, to bring healing. God, you are our unifying factor. So we come together from different backgrounds, uh, just different walks of life, and, and we come together because of the freedom we found in you, Jesus. So God, we just pray for unity. We pray, God, that, that we'd be focused. God, that we would say, church, assemble so that we could push back the works of the darkness in our own way, God, that, that we would just do what we've been called to do and that mission would bring joy in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Let's receive the offering and go out if you're singing.